Hey girl, I'm your host Diana, and this is Our Space, the podcast where we talk about the health and well-being of Black women with Black women. In this week's episode, we're honoring Breast Cancer Awareness Month by sharing the story of a young survivor, Adrienne Ward. Adrienne was just 27 years old when she found a nickel-sized lump in her breast. She is now in her 30s, in remission, and today she's sharing her story with us. Today's episode is a little different from our typical format. The first part is Adrienne sharing her story in its entirety with minimal interjections for me. Once she was done, we went back and forth dissecting some of the things she shared with me. Before we dive into the interview, however, if you haven't already, please subscribe or follow the podcast wherever you're listening right now. Leave me a review on that same platform and join the Change Our Outcomes community on Instagram and Facebook so you never miss a thing. Now, without further ado, let's get into the episode. Hey, y'all, welcome back for another episode of Our Space. I'm your host, Diana, and today, for the second time ever in history, I'm joined by a family member. Adrian and I are cousins, and our moms are besties. But Adrian is not just my cousin, she is also a breast cancer survivor. And today, she has graciously decided to share her story with us. Hey, girl. Hey, I am absolutely so excited to be a part of this. Um, I really appreciate you extending this offer and, you know, we're going to get into some things and absolutely go over my experience. Yes, I love that. And you, I'm glad that you were willing to join me. Um, I feel like I might have even said this last year, literally to my mom. I was like, I got to have Adrian on the show. As I'm expanding and like wanting to do different things in my mind, so you might have to come back again, spoiler alert. But in my <laughs> mind, I want to host like a live webinar with like a Black woman working in oncology and then a survivor and like just kind of talk about the different ends of that experience. But for now, we're still, you know, scaling. So I'm like, you know what? Regardless if I have a doctor here or not, I'm going to have Adrian here. So thank Absolutely. you. Thank you. So, let's just jump into it then. Um, okay. For those of you listening, Adrian and I not only are cousins, but we're not that far apart in age. So I've mentioned before on here that I'm 29, about to be 30. And Adrian, how old are you? I'm 32, about to be done, done, done. Exactly. Okay. So as y'all know, she she's not a survivor that this happened to yesterday. She this is an experience that yeah. has been ongoing so she was rather young when she found out that she had breast cancer so yeah how was that what was that like for you man um honestly it's something that I actually still deal with today there are so many things that I I you know just subconsciously I think about that's related to my cancer what I went through the treatments the the length of you know just what I had to go through Um, So that's something that I'm still kind of like grappling with today. But Mm -hmm. I was 28 when I was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer. Um, uh, My specific breast cancer is ERPR positive. So that's just estrogen and progesterone positive, HER2 negative. Um, I actually remember specifically, I was sitting in the car driving and I absolutely... When I think back to it, I, I, I remember getting the phone call and looking at it and like, wow, okay, this is this is what we're going to have to, you know, deal with right now, Adrian. So you're either going to be told some information that is life changing 
or you're going to get some information that, you know, you can kind of wipe your forehead sort of situation. But um, I unfortunately did get that phone call where, you know, it was life changing. Um, but I actually kind of just want to go back to a year from when I was actually given my diagnosis. So in 2018, January 2018, I remember specifically being in the shower and I was kind of just, you know, going through my routine, doing my exfoliation and just, you know, doing my whole little self-care routine. And I came across my breast and I remember feeling it and it felt like a small, I, I, I tell people it was like a small nickel size um, of a lump that I felt in my breast. And it, that was in my upper left quadrant of my right breast. So I'm just using some of the verbiage that my doctors have told me over the years. And so again, that was like the upper left uh, quadrant of my right breast. But I was just kind of going over my breast. And like I said, I felt what would be like a nickel size lump. And I, I remember thinking like, okay, that's weird. But it wasn't something that, you know, I, it wasn't something that I felt that it was urgent. I will be honest. Yeah. And I, I've had people over the years tell me, whoa, you felt any sort of lump in your breast. Why wouldn't you act urgently? And the, um, the like the simplest way that I can put it is I just thought at my age being 28, um, um, excuse me, 27 at the time, I was thinking that no way that I could have breast cancer. Um. So I remember telling a few people and telling my mother, like, hey, I feel I feel like a little lump in my breast, you know, and everybody was like, well, no, you you know, you want to go get that checked out. So, you know, I'm like, OK, let me let me, you know, schedule something. Um, But just I guess as luck would have it, my um, my gynecologist, he was actually out of the office during that time that I did attempt to schedule it. Um. And then I actually just was like, okay, well, he's not in the office. I will just schedule it when he comes back. Just kind of working and going yeah. through life as, you know, a 27-year-old working, trying to make my money, not kind of putting that on the back burner. Um, I continued to just, you know, just work. Just kind of was like, okay, it doesn't matter. You know, we'll get to it when we get to it. Um. And I actually, it wasn't until May of 2018 that I actually noticed that the lump grew in size. Oh, wow. So from January of 2018 to May, or April or May of that year, um, it, it grew in size. So at that point, if it was originally feeling like maybe a the size of a nickel, at that point, it felt as if it had grew to maybe the size of a small, I want to say a small strawberry, if, if just to okay. kind of, vis, you know, give you a visualization yeah. of what it was feeling like. And at that point, because it did grow significantly in size, at that point I said, okay, I absolutely need to go get this checked out. Yeah. Um, and I actually remember going to my OBGYN's office and again, I, I just, that was just was not my year to really kind of deal with this, I guess. But I went to my OBGYN and I actually ended up seeing his nurse practitioner. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I don't like to 
I don't want to say this, but this may have absolutely been a factor. I've, I've, I've kind of gone over so many things. If you can honestly like put yourself in the position of someone who was, was dealing with some sort of health issue at the time, I, I just didn't want to think like, okay, my concerns and what I was telling a nurse practitioner that, hey, I, I do have a lump in my breast, you know, is this something that I should have concern for? Um, I didn't want to think that, you know, them kind of overlooking it, which is essentially what ended up happening. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to think that they didn't have my best interests or that it was any concern for what I, you know, was expressing to them. But, you know, I did see his nurse practitioner. And when she felt the the lump in my breast, she absolutely did, um, you know, she did kind of, she didn't have any sort of urgency about it. Really? And, yeah. Um, she, she, she felt it, she kind of examined it and she said, okay, um, yeah, that might be something that you want to go get looked at. Um, you know, maybe when the doctor comes back in, he can refer you to somebody. She was like, but you know, I wouldn't worry about it. Interesting. Yeah. So I've heard so many stories about black women and, you know, hearing our concerns in the health field or health industry overall, when we express to them some of our concerns and, you know, kind of feeling like, okay, thinking that that has never happened to me, but absolutely when I go back and think about it, I notice now that that was an in, a, a situation that I expressed concern to a nurse practitioner or someone in the health industry. And there just wasn't a sense of urgency for it. Yeah. Um, but I also, like I said, that was also on me. I, I knew I had a lump in my breast. I didn't have any real urgency, if I'm being honest. So yeah. these yeah. are just things that, like I said, I, I, I have to grapple with now and have to, you know, accept. So um, like I said, she she did, you know, say hmm, that might be something that you want. You'll want to come back and, and see your doctor, your OBGYN when he gets back into the office. So. I'll be honest, when she said that, I just was like, hey, there's no urgency on her part. Yeah, there definitely was, yeah, there wasn't any urgency on my part. So I let additional months uh, go by. So what I want to just kind of highlight is specifically what I can remember. October of 2018, that is the point where my nipple inverted. Oh. Yeah. Okay. And a few things did happen over 2018. I did, I lost my job. So at that point I lost healthcare. Yeah. I was in the, the process of trying to find another job and, you know, kind of hurry up and get things, you know, happening. But absolutely at that point, when my nipple inverted, I absolutely knew something was wrong. There was no, yeah, no more kind of denying it. But like I said, I didn't have health insurance. I didn't know of all of the resources that, you know, women, women specifically related to breast, breast cancer or breast health, mm -hmm. some of the resources that we do have. Um, so like I said, I, I, I just kept going, but I knew something was wrong. 2018, October, 2018, even though from January, 2018 to October, 2018, at that point, that's when I knew that this isn't right. My nipple should not be inverted. And it was inverted significantly where oh. it, it, it looked slightly deformed. I'll be honest. Okay. Um, 
So, like I said, I'm just trekking along and just kind of continuing my process. Like, I'm trying to find a job, trying to get my life back in order, all the while knowing that I have something wrong. Um, but fortunately, I did end up getting a job actually in Toledo. I ended up working okay. at the GM powertrain plant. And um, I was working there for a couple of months. And unfortunately, I did end up getting into an accident. Uh, January 2018, I got into, or I'm sorry, 2019, I got into a car accident. But I, I say unfortunately, but this was actually the catalyst that brought me to going to the hospital oh. um, because I did, I did have whiplash. So yeah. that was the catalyst that got me to go to the hospital. I remember I was in the hospital. I was talking to the nurse. She was kind of going over things for me. And she's like, hey, um, you know, just because they did do an x-ray on me. I'm sorry. Hold on. Give me one second, Diane. I apologize. Oh, you good. My apologies. Um, I did end up going to, like I said, I ended up going to the hospital. And they did an x-ray on me. And they actually noticed the tum the tumor. They they noticed the tumor um, on the X ray, and they act they questioned it. They were like, "Hey, um, wh what's that?" And actually, I told them, "I'm like, I have absolutely no idea." I said, "But I am concerned about it. Is there any way that your um, women's health department, if I could maybe be seen by them?" And I'm just so grateful they were able to get me into, um, they were able to get me into the, get me into an appointment, excuse me, get me into an appointment, uh, about an hour later. So I actually end up having an ultrasound done mm -hmm. and the nurse, she was, I remember her face. She was looking at it and she was like, okay. She was like, this, um, this is something that isn't right. She was, she didn't say, she didn't say exactly what she was like. There, there are certain things that I'm seeing on the ultrasound that are causing me concern. She was like, so I'm actually going to bring the doctor in here. Okay. The doctor comes in about 10 minutes later. She's looking over it and she is, she's looking at the, at the ultrasound screen and she, you know, she's kind of going over it and she said, okay, she said, I need you to go and get she said, I need you to go and get a, a biopsy. And I remember kind of lifting my head up and I said, a biopsy. I said, why? I, and, and, and actually at that point, excuse me, I'm going to back up a little bit. At that yeah. point, I had been, when my nipple inverted, I remember kind of like doing a little bit of research and like, okay, nipple inversion, um, there, there was like some sort of like small, uh, just like a, a, a benign tumor that you could have for your breast. And I was kind of like, okay, this is what I have. I actually convinced myself that I had that benign tumor. I said, okay, this is what it is because uh, there's no way. Again, I couldn't at, at 28 years old, there's no yeah. way that I could have breast cancer. So fast forward, like I said, back to um, the doctor's office when she's looking at it and, and I tilted my head up and I asked her, I said, Hey, I said, is there, you know, is this not an option? And, you know, she told me, she said, there is blood flowing to this specific tumor that you have. 
we need you to go get a biopsy. Okay, so at that point, I am absolutely, you know, I'm, I'm lost for words at this point. She's telling me that, you know, I have blood flowing through this tumor mm-hmm. and, you know, there, there are just so many things at that point that I knew that was like, okay, this is something that that's not right. Um, about a week later, I, I have the biopsy and they do the biopsy. So that's just like, you know, just the general, they did a clipping of that specific tumor. Um, just had to make sure that, you know, there's things that they need to see. So they do the biopsy fine. Um, and then at that point they told me, okay, so there will be about a week time frame that we need to send this off to the lab. They are going to, you know, once they have the finalized information about it, we're going to go ahead and, you know, give you the information. So it actually took a little bit longer, about a week and a half later, mm-hmm. I remember getting the call and that was, that actually ended up being the beginning of February when I, the beginning of February I want to say February. No, no, my apologies. Okay. So that was February. So February 22nd, I ended up getting the call that I had stage three breast cancer. Um, at that point, they told me that they did tell me that I had stage three at that point. They didn't tell me exactly everything about it. So they didn't tell me that it was ER, PR positive, HER2 negative. That was things that I needed to get done once I had um, the genetics testing. So Mm -hmm. they actually, at that point, February 22nd, they just completely started bombarding me with, okay, we need to have this testing done. You need to have genetics testing. You need to have um, another biopsy. So many, like, I just felt like there were so many things in that call that they made sure that, okay, we need to make, make this appointment this appointment. You need to have blood work done. So many things. And I just, I remember feeling like this is unreal. Yeah. I absolutely felt like this was unreal. I I remember after that call, I sat there for about 10 minutes, just in utter disbelief. And then just a wave of emotions came over me and just like, I bawled as if I were a child. Like Mm -hmm. I, I completely, like just the you you're you're building up those emotions and then at that point you absolutely it's like somebody took the lid off yeah they absolutely it absolutely felt like that that i just completely i didn't i couldn't process it because at this point a whole year at this point a whole year had gone by right since you first felt that lump so this was in february of the next year so yeah you've been building up on these feelings for for a minute. Yeah. And I just, I know that, like, I still feel guilt even now to know exactly, like, to speak to that point. If you know that you have something for a year and you don't act as soon as you possibly can, it just, it, it's hurtful because I know. I know. And, and if no one is a representative or advocate for yourself, you absolutely have to be. Yeah. Um, and that's some of the things that I had to learn uh, during that entire experience. Um, so back to just, you know, I 
crying in the car, just couldn't believe it. I call my mom. I tell her, like, hey, they called me. They told me that, you know, I had breast cancer. She immediately starts bawling. I hang, I remember, like, I hung up the phone on her because yeah. at that point, it was just, it was a lot. So I did not, I, I couldn't process her emotions as well yeah. as mine. Um, so I actually hung up on her and she, you know, she's calling me back. She's calling me back. And I actually had to take a few minutes just to like, okay, let me prepare myself to, to have this conversation with someone else. Because at that point I'm having a conversation about having breast cancer. Yeah. So I eventually pick up the phone call for her and we kind of go over things and she's like, okay, you know, we kind of go through the things. You don't have health insurance right now. What what resources can we find out for you? Um, she gets, she actually is like, I'm going to call you back. She ends up calling my aunt, who my aunt, she knows so many resources throughout yeah. the city of Detroit. So she, she's well versed in that way. Um, so, you know, my aunt calls me. Again, I, I, I kind of like, I didn't answer for her immediately just because now there's someone else who knows. Right, exactly. Be, and, and you have to understand that with being young, having breast cancer, you are, once you, you have to start the, the chain of events of other people knowing this person knows, this person knows, it is something that you really want to be protective of. You, you don't want so many people to know this. Yeah. I don't know why. I've talked to other women who 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 have had breast cancer, and it's just something that, no, I don't want them to know right now. I don't want them to know that I'm vulnerable. Is is the only way I can explain it. Like you just don't want that vulnerability on you. Yeah. Do you think um, maybe it's also some of that knowing that whoever you tell they're going to be sad and not wanting to deal with their emotions oh, as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. You are taking on once they know you know that there's going to be a wave of emotions for them to process it, especially yeah. if it's, you know, an aunt or you, like my grandmother. It was just something that, that yeah. yeah. No, I, <laughs> I get thinking, you. Just thinking about how their tears, their pain about, you know, knowing that I was going to be going through that, that's hurtful. Um, yeah. So, so, like I said, um, my mother, she gets on the phone with my aunt and my aunt, she is absolutely, you know, she's like, okay, I know this person. I know this person. She's like, I know this organization called BCCCP. She's like, I'm going to get, I'm going to make a phone call. I'm going to find out, um, you know, if I have a contact there, if that's somebody who I can get you in contact with, and then we're going to get this process started. So BCCCP, they are also a, a resource for women um, who experience breast cancer. Um, so, it, so it's actually the Breast Cancer and Cervical Cancer Program. Okay. Um, and like I said, just immediately, as soon as I started working with my case manager, she was just, she was so empathetic, just understanding that I am a younger Black woman going through breast cancer um and not and trying to understand how to navigate through this so i don't have health insurance is that something that you can assist me with she was absolutely instrumental in helping me get medicaid so that that is one of the resources that they offer um they offer assistance in making sure that you have medicaid so that's something that you don't have to worry about during your treatment all you need their their main concern is that you are in the process of recovery 
Yeah. They don't want you to worry about any of the finances or anything like that. They just want you to recover. Um, so once that process started, like I said, I was able to get in contact with my case manager um, or I'm excuse me, get a case manager with BCCCP. And then from that point, she was able to get me Medicaid. And just from there, I just remember so many appointments, so many biopsies, so many blood work. Um, I actually had to speak to a gynecologist, uh, uh, I'm sorry, excuse me, an oncology gynecologist, mm-hmm. because I'm 28 years old. They're asking me questions like, hey, because the drugs that you are going to potentially, you know, come into contact with for your specific cancer, because again, with, with my specific cancer, the one, there's not for chemo, there's not a one size fits all. Right. You're going to have something that's unique to you and your, your treatment. So my oncology gynecologist is like, Hey, we need to have the conversation of, do you want to preserve your eggs? Is that something that is, is an interest for you? Um, and you know, I, I won't go too in depth with that, but that's just something that, you know, that they want to go over with you. They want to make sure that, Hey, potentially your eggs may be at risk with the cancer treatment that you're about to go through. Um, so that's just something that for women who are experiencing that or who are currently going through that, they may want to consider speaking to an oncology gynecologist, Mm -hmm. but that's just like just some of the things that you don't even think that right. you would you're you're like your mind is like okay I have breast cancer but you're not even thinking that far ahead of hey if I go through this treatment is this going to potentially make be, make me become infertile um so like I said just the process of going through chemo essentially from February 23rd to March 5th that time frame, I'm immediately pushed into chemo because I, I made the decision fairly quickly. I knew that when they told me I had stage three from that point, there's only stage four. And at stage right. four, it becomes incurable. Um, so unfortunately for me, because I did, I, I, I had that entire year where I just kind of let it progressively get later and later in the stages for my cancer. I, I didn't have the choice or the luxury to, to say, Hey, you know, let me think about this. I just automatically said, okay, yeah, we need to do this. And there are other options. Um, some women go a holistic route. Um, and, and that's, that's a great option as well. That's something that, you know, you just have to think about for yourself. Okay. What, what do I want to do at this point? But like I said, for me, I was just so scared. I just knew that I was in a position that I, I didn't want to be in. So I just immediately said, okay, yep, we can go into chemo. So I remember, um, I actually had to have a catheter, a port put into, um, into my, my left chest wall, just because <laughs> the chemo that I was going to be put on was so strong that there are times where it can completely destroy your veins. So right. once it goes into your system, depending on how it's placed, it can, dis- it can just destroy them. So it's easier if they put it in a port. And at that point, that's how they distribute, distribute the, uh, the cancer treatment. 
Okay. So I have that. I have this part put in. Like I said, March 5th, um, I'm having my first chemo treatment. Oof. And I actually have my cousin to go with me. And I remember putting on like the numbing cream just because they, they advise you to put on numbing cream about an hour be, or hour to two hours before the treatment just so you don't feel that needle going into your, mm-hmm. your port. And I just remember she was putting it on me and I just was completely just like, I, I just started crying again. I couldn't believe that, oh my God, in about an hour, I'm about to have chemo drugs into my system, flowing through my system. Yeah. And, you know, I remember she was hugging me and she was just like, hey, we're in this together. And I'm like, like, why, why me? You know, absolutely felt so many times throughout all of this. Why me? Um, You know, what was it specifically about me that made this be my situation? Yeah. Um, so like I said, she's putting, she's putting the, the numbing cream on me. I'm crying. She's holding me. And, you know, at that point I just was like, okay, we're going to do this. So I'm walking into the, um, they, they split it between the, the cancer patients as well as the specific area that I was in. There's cancer patients. There are patients who are just taking dialysis. So they're just, there's like a range of people that are having some sort of treatment done for them, whatever their health issue is. But um, I'm in there and I'm seeing people who, some of them look fine. They look healthy. They, nothing looks wrong with them. Mm-hmm. And then I'm, I'm seeing people who are absolutely looking lifeless. And I hate to, I, I don't want to use that word. Um, just kind of look they, drained. Yeah. They, they look depleted. They yeah. absolutely look depleted. Um, and so that was also something mentally that I had to, you know, kind of take on to because at that point now I'm thinking about myself and how that is going to look for me. Yeah. And I'll be honest with you, my first, my very first treatment, I was so, there were so many emotions that I was experiencing that. I remember my cousin was there with me and I remember getting like annoyed with her. I I just did. I was getting annoyed with her. She was, she was asking questions and, you know, just trying to kind of go over things that the nurse was telling me and to like, you know, just in case there was something that I missed, you always want to have someone there with you just as you're receiving some of the information that you're about to get. So she's there with me. She's kind of talking back to me about some of the information like, Hey, you know, did, did that make sense for you? You know, what she's telling you, what she's about to do, the process. And I'm getting annoyed and I'm just, I'm so frustrated. And again, I'm having that, why me, you know, and not to say that I'm, I wanted it to be someone else. I would never want anyone to go through what I had to go through, but I absolutely just kept feeling like, why me? Why me? Why do I have to go through this? Why is this my, my life right now? So I was getting annoyed with her and, you know, by the end of it, we weren't speaking. So (laughs) we just weren't like, I just remember the, the emotions that I was going through. I was so upset. Yeah. And, um, that, that's kind of how my first chemo treatment ended. 
they progressively got better over time. Right. It was just something that, you know, at that point, you're having to get acclimated to. So if that's March of 2019 that I'm experiencing my first chemo treatment, definitely by the end of March, you know, it it got better. I'll say that it wasn't easier. It just got better as, you know, as we went into the treatments, um, my specific treatment, I had, that was March, 2019 for a specific drug called adriomycin. Mm -hmm. Um, and I want to say that was 16 weeks of that specific treatment. Yeah. Yeah. And that is the treatment that they're telling you, like, hey, you're about to lose all of your hair. Oh, okay. Yep. Okay. Yep. So, you know, um, probably by like that third week, I did lose my hair. Um, it, it happened fairly quickly. So I want to yeah. say it was a, like that third week. I completely lost all of my hair from the point, like to the point where I remember being in the shower and I just pushed, like, I just started pushing hair back and it it just came off so smooth. You couldn't imagine, like, it, it was like somebody shaved my head, but I'm just taking my finger and I'm pushing my hair back Ugh. and it's coming off. Um, so, you know, at that point I'm like, okay, well, we're here. This is what we're going to go through. So I remember getting out the shower and I'm like, okay, let me just, you know, just do the whole thing. I, I didn't already like pushed about like yeah. an inch worth of my hair back. Let me just do the whole thing. And, you know, I'm, I'm either pulling some of the hair or I'm just like kind of shaving the hair. But that was something that, that also made it feel so it, it intensified what I already knew what, what, what I was going through. It just oh, intensified sure. it, you know, at yeah. that point, like, okay, so I don't have the hair. Um, I'm, I'm able to, I was able to push my, my eyebrow hair back. Like it, it, it sounds crazy. It sounds crazy, but this is just something that the hair is just coming off. So it's like almost melting off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you know, I, I kind of went through that phase of, okay, I'm, I'm losing my hair. And I will say this, one thing that I I made it a priority for me, I'm already, you know, starting to, starting to experience the, the sickness, which is just, when I say the, the, as far as if I, the only way that I can explain how I felt is, is is it is a flu? You feel like you have the flu okay. times ten. Oof. Um, I absolutely. There were times I'm not getting out the bed. I could not. Yeah. I couldn't bring myself to get out of the bed. It was, it was the nausea, the nausea, the the actual vomiting. Um. You know the lack of energy, everything that yeah. you could possibly go through, like when you're, when you have the flu, but just times 10. Um, so there were times that I'm like trying to just peel myself out of the bed. And obviously I'm this entire time. I want to really make sure that I highlight my mother, my grandmother, my aunt, they were such beacons of light for me during this time because Without them, I really would not have been able to get through this. They absolutely took on, you know, 
my agitation because yeah. it, th- that's something that I don't think that people really speak to when they are going through something like that. You are not pleasant. Yeah. You're not a person that you're, you're jolly. You are absolutely, again, like I said, you're asking why me? So you're annoyed that it is you, but you're yeah. projecting on everyone that's around you when they're just trying to help. Um, so like I said, without them, I wouldn't have been able to get through this, but the illness, you know, that, that I did have to go through, um, not being able to keep things down and things like that. It just was so many, so many things that I kind of dealt with, with that, with the illness that came with the chemo treatment that were horrible. Um, but like I said, that was about 16 weeks for that specific drug. And I ended up, I ended up having um, a meeting with my oncologist. And at that point, they're telling me like, okay, so now we're going to switch switch you to two other drugs. So I, I actually completed the 16 weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but then at that point, they told me that there were two other drugs that I was going to need to do. So if that was probably early June, mid-June, when I transitioned to, there's a drug called Taxol. Okay. And another drug called cytotoxin. Cy- I always, I always get that drug. I can't say it right. Cytotoxin. <laughs> um, but that drug was a different sort of, you know, it came with other complications. Um, I actually started to lose my nails with those. Wow. So I yeah, my nail, I, I lost my nail beds. Um, Two on one hand and three on the other, um, just because that drug is so sensitive to your nerve endings um, oh, okay. that they actually, yeah, they they progressive. I like I, I don't know what it is exactly, but it just it aids in the removal of nails. That's something that for those specific drugs, that's well known that you'll lo- maybe lose nail beds. Um, so that's something that the taxol and the cytotoxin, that drug, I. Um, I went through that for, that was the beginning of June. So that was about two months that I had that drug. Um, yeah, two months that I had that drug. I apologize. Two months that I had that drug. And then I remember talking to my plastic surgeon. I had mm-hmm. a, I had a appointment with her and you know, I could actually at that point. So I have so many drugs that I've been going or taking, you know, thus far that I am kind of feeling the 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 tumor decrease in size. It didn't decrease significantly, but I could just tell that there was a, there was that it was decreasing. Um, so I actually had an appointment probably in at the beginning of July with my plastic surgeon and you know she's going over oh Adrian, um, I think I some of the you. ultrasounds because I oh there uh-oh. you go okay I'm sorry can you hear me yes now I can yep okay um so I actually see my plastic surgeon at the beginning of July and you know she is talking to me and she's like hey I just want you to know that the next time we do testing for you if this has not decreased to the point that they wanted it, that to the size that they were comfortable with, yeah, that we are going to have to talk about 
your your mastectomy. Now, I do want to say that that was a conversation that at the beginning of treatment that they said was a possibility. But again, they wanted to get the the tumor down in size. Yeah. That I think I had convinced myself that at that point, like, okay, the tumor is going down in size. You know, this is something that I'm, I'm not going to have to have a mastectomy. And when we had that conversation in July, when she brought it back up to me, I... I just didn't really want to think about having to lose my breasts. I'm thinking that no, no 28 year old should have right. to lose your breasts. And so I do, I do, I continue with my chemo treatments and, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of hopeful at that point, like th- that it will go down significantly, significantly in size that they're going to be comfortable. Um, that the next time I do have any sort of testing or ultrasound done on me that, you know, I won't have to to lose my breast. Well, fast forward, I do end up having another ultrasound. End up speaking with my plastic surgeon again. And, you know, she's telling me that it did not go down to the size that they're comfortable with. And that at this point, they are going to schedule, um, they are going to schedule, you know, the mastectomy. Mm. And that was in July, the beginning of July, or excuse me, the the middle of July at this point that I'm having this conversation, maybe even the third week in July. And, you know, she is telling me we're scheduling it a month out. At that point, I am, you know, kind of going over it and, you know, telling myself like, okay, you have to get prepared that you're going to have a mastectomy. Yeah. Um, They at that point I have to end treatment just because a month prior to you having your, um, your mastectomy or any sort of surgery, you have to go to allow the drugs to go through you and they just, they just end treatment. So that's just the process. And, um, you know, at about a month, I'm, I'm kind of just like almost delusional about things. I'm like, I don't, I don't think I can do this. This is something like I'm, I'm absolutely terrified. Um, just so many, like, again, so many emotions that I don't want to have to deal with, but at this point I'm here. And, um, so August 28th, 2019, the mastectomy is scheduled. I do have it. Um, and I just remember I had some really good drugs that they, <laughs> yes, <laughs> that, that, you know, during that time that they gave me, you know, they're, they're giving me all the drugs and I'm just so loopy, but. I remember coming out of the surgery and just immediately being hit with so much like it was like it was almost just like I, I immediately just had depression. Yeah. I, when I tell you that I had so like I had my family with me, I had one of my really good girlfriends um come up here from Texas to come see me for, you know, after I was in recovery. And I just, with all of that love and support that I had around me, I just was, was, like I said, almost, I was in shock. That's, that's the word that I want to use. I I was in shock that I just had a mastectomy. I no longer have my breast. And I want to, I want to speak to women who, who maybe feel 
it, it, you know, and just the relatability aspect of it when you lose your breast, that is something that is so, it, it, it's like it, when you involuntarily lose a limb, yeah, that, that is something that is so just, just like you're distraught. You cannot process. This is something that you had to lose due to a health issue. Yeah. And, um, you know, so for about three days, I just cried. Yeah, of course. Completely cried. Um, there was no other way to really kind of explain it other than just being depressed. Those three days, I was depressed. I had so many family members come to see me. Um, my cousin, he has two younger children, and I just love them so much. And, you know, as soon as they came into the house to see me, I just, I cried again because I just, I didn't want them to see me like that. Yeah. I didn't want to be in this position. This is something that, again, when I tell you that I still grapple with it today, that this is a responsibility that I have now that I didn't want to have to take on because, the res and, and by responsibility, I mean that I have to be extremely health conscious. Yeah. If I do eat something that, you know, Maybe it's not the healthiest. There is guilt that I that I carry with me because I know I shouldn't be eating this. You have the trauma now of feeling like if I if I'm not exercising enough, yeah, you know, is this something that could trigger a recurrence or, or you know, can you can I develop cancer again? Can I develop cancer somewhere else? You feel like there was always a possibility with me having stage three cancer. Um, they did tell me that it did not metastasize or excuse me, it metastasized to one lymph node in my underarm. Okay. So I, I was fortunate in that sense that it did not metastasize everywhere. Yeah. Like in, in a bone in, you know, in more lymph nodes, but um, just to be that far along and it only only metastasized to one lymph node. I, I was extremely grateful for that. But that's something that, you know, I do think about. I have so many thoughts. I'm like, okay, you know, are they sure they got all the lymph nodes out? It's just things that you are constantly, you know, scared about, constantly making sure, like I said, you have to make sure that you are keeping up with your health, taking vitamins, making sure you're eating what you know, correctly and things like that. Um so, you know, at that point, after I had the mastectomy, um, there was about a three week period that they, um, I had to wait until I could actually start my radiation treatment. Mm -hmm. Um, so I actually started my radiation the end of September. Oh, yes, it was the end of September. And, um, from the end of September to November, actually it was November 25th. I remember it being the 25th. Um, that I completed my radiation and that was just, you know, a process in itself because you run the risk of, because that skin now is so sensitive, yeah. you have this radi this, this, um, this instrument that could burn your skin, you know, to so many degrees, however many degrees that it could potentially, you know, it burn your skin, just, the positioning that you have to be in after having a mastectomy, you have so much sensitivity now in that area that if you lift in, if you're lifting it up, you have to lift it up extremely gently. 
um, you have to make sure, again, going back to like advocating for yourself. If you're in an uncomfortable position, even if you're in radiation treatments, you have to tell them like, hey, this is in, I'm in an uncomfortable position. Can we take a break? Yeah. And we maybe, you know, pick this up um, in about five minutes, something like that, just because. Again, like I said, you're 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 still having to continue treatment, but you're now previ- where previously you you had your breast and you had like almost a barrier. Now you don't. So it was just a lot of sensitivities that I experienced when I was going through my radiation treatment. And um, like I said, just during that entire time, just having to, you know, try to be kind to myself and be kind to others. Yeah. But, you know, it was such it was such an experience that I absolutely just hope that whoever does hear this, they, you know, they make sure that they are doing um, self exams. Yeah. that You know, they are having their yearly mammograms and absolutely advocate for yourself for earlier. That's something that I know that women now, if we can, we should try to advocate for ourselves for early mammogram testing yes. just because. That's something that is vital to prevention. Yeah. Um, and like I said, just those those self exams, making sure that you're constantly examining your breasts, examining the lymph nodes in your neck, in your your collarbone, you know, underarms, the entire uh, process. But just making sure that you are doing that, just to, like I said, to prevent any sort of health issue. Yeah. Um. But yeah, if 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 that was the long-winded version, I hope it wasn't too long. <laughs> but no, it was not too long. Okay, but um, yeah. Did you so have, have you been have you been in remission since? Oh yes, girl. I got oh I got questions for sure. And okay. it's funny that you say like long-winded. When you said that before, I did not anticipate this direction, but I love this direction. I'm glad that you told your story in its entirety without me asking questions. And I was just over here taking notes and I will now ask my questions, but no, thank you so much. for. And you said so many things. I I think there's something so extremely valuable, which again, why I want to have you on here, because I think there is something so valuable in hearing the stories of lived, true lived experience, not only just about Black women in their day-to-day lives, but going through something like this, because there are things, there are questions that I was going to ask that you immediately knew as a person who's already gone through this. Oh, let me make sure I say this. Like, I didn't even have to ask, because now that is a part of your story that you will always tell. Like, you told me what kind of breast cancer you had. You told me how you found it. You even... I had a question about what advice would you give someone newly diagnosed? But like you, you did that already and you, it was incorporated in your story. And I really appreciate that. Mm. So my first question, cause again, you did, you said a lot of things. I have some, I got some notes over here. Okay. Um, the very first thing that I want to, to bring up, and obviously I'm sure you have been, like you said, you've been grappling with this since, since all of this took place. But one of the things that stuck out to me the most was the reoccurring theme of like, why me? Um, my aunt Monica that you know also has had breast cancer two times. Yeah. And she's a survivor. She's doing great. But sometimes when she talks about her overall, just like health problems and things that like have gone on in her life with her health, she often is like, why Why am I the one that out of my two, three siblings, well, there's three of yeah. them. But like, why am I the sick one? What's mm-hmm. Why is that? And 
So when it comes to you and your diagnosis specifically, I can understand emotionally why you would ask that. But do y'all have a, so again, y'all, me and Adrian are cousins, but our mothers aren't technically first cousins, even though I think they're the same age. So like we are related, but we don't have, we're not related enough that we would have that similar family history. So I know cancer history on my side, but is there a a history of breast cancer on on y'all's side? Yes. So there is my great grandmother who did have breast cancer. Um, And I'm sorry, on the paternal side. Mm -hmm. So that's my great grandmother Mm -hmm. trying to think on my, um, on my maternal side, they have had uterine cancer, but not breast cancer. So Mm -hmm. there have been other cancers, but not breast cancer. Yeah. Okay. And that's, that's how ours is too on this other side, the side we not on. (laughs) Um, And Monty has had breast cancer two times and cancer runs, it seems like in our family history, but not specifically breast cancer. She is the only one that has had breast cancer. And and it's interesting, like you also brought up screening. I want to go back to that because these two things are connected. Absolutely. the um the recommendations are not accommodating always to the fact that women of color are diagnosed specifically black women as much as i love all encompassing terms like women of color black women specifically are diagnosed with breast cancer earlier now when they say earlier typically they they don't actually mean 20s but still earlier but the recommendations are not in line with that in any capacity and it also seems as though if you don't have a history of breast cancer specifically again that's not on their radar as much but we know that just because you might not have a family history of breast cancer cancer in general is going on in your family and it's again the recommendations just don't keep up with that do you have thoughts on like i'm sure you've probably become a breast cancer advocate in more like in ways, but do you ever think about like policy and things that we could do that, do you think there's anything that at 27, that there were policies or different things in place that would have changed your experience with breast cancer and going through this whole process? Like, had you known, or had it been more normalized that you could get breast cancer at 28? Do you think that would have made a difference? Absolutely. Um, I will say just because at 27, for me specifically, I was not in a financial position. I I would actually have considered myself, I wasn't poverty, but I was still just, I'm actively working. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm in a demographic where there is not a lot of emphasis on, I know that we, you know, we, we do know that there's a way that we could eat healthier, obviously, yes. But yeah. I'm in a demographic at that point where we're going out to eat a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it as far as, you know, making sure that we are working out and things like that. That just, that was not, for me specifically, uh, for me, I just want to speak for me right yeah. now. Um that wasn't something that it was a lot of emphasis on. And I do want to say that that may have just been because of my financial background and what I was just kind of having to work for my money. Yeah. Um, so there, you know, with women of color or black women who do have, you know, they may be impoverished. They may not have a lot of money or things like that. We are significantly more impacted, obviously, you know, you, that's something that you may be aware of that we're significantly yeah. significantly more impacted as it relates to our health care. Yes. Um, so it 
if that was something that just a lot more resources or emphasis was put on for women who are in these maybe sort of inner city, you know, backgrounds who inner city background. Sorry, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Inner city areas where they are, you know, they don't have a lot of money or things like that. If they did have more resources, resources put on that, then I do believe that that can make a difference. Yeah. Um. So, you know, that that's something that I do think that the poli- policies with that, if, they, if there's more emphasis put on it for women of color to know that, hey, you are um, three times as likely to develop breast cancer than a white woman. There, Those statistics are still not made aware to, to black women. That's something that they're not made aware of enough. Yeah. Um, so I do think that policies would absolutely make a difference. Yeah, I and I agree with that. I feel like that's one of the things that I try to do, like, in my life and in my job is educate people on the fact that there are so many things that I don't think specifically, like, obviously, I come from a different background, not not the impact, not that part of background, but like school, literally, I have a degree in something that puts me in a space of knowing about health disparities, whereas a lot right. of people don't. And so things that I'm like, oh, yeah, like everybody should know this. It's like, oh, wait, y'all literally don't know this because no one's ever told you that, like, yeah, you are more prone to this or black women are getting cancer younger than uh, other races of women. And I don't think a lot of black women do know that or that not only are we getting cancer younger. So statistically speaking, like, and I'm sure you know this as well, like black women have a slightly lower rate of incidence. And for those listening, incidence is new cases. Prevalence is like existing. How many people in the population incidence is every year? Like how many new cases we technically have a slightly lower incidence rate. However, we have a higher mortality rate. So we're getting cancer just a little bit less, but we're dying at like a rate that's 40% higher. So I think the, the data is something like 4% less incidence so just a tick below but then an astronomical number like literally 40 percent higher when it comes to death rates and it's because of the type of cancer that we get the late stage diagnoses late stage diagnoses are often due to i want to say this also i appreciate that you i i know that you mentioned feeling guilty and i hope that Mm. that that weight comes off of you but i also appreciate that you took accountability for the fact that yeah i did know something was up but i didn't do anything right away i know obviously there were that was a very layered situation. But even just the fact that you said, yeah, like, I, you know what? I did know something was going on and didn't take it maybe as seriously. But in that same token, why why would you? If, again, we just talked about, you don't even think that at that age it could be breast cancer. Like, yes, obviously in the back of your mind, you're like, oh, a lump in my breast, potentially breast cancer. But again, at that age, 27, you're like, well, that's not what they always tell me. That's not what they're telling black women and women in general. That is not the, when you think about the face of breast cancer, it is not a young 27-year-old black woman. It is Absolutely. a middle-aged white woman. So it's hard to even grapple with something like that. And then when you add the layers of, like you mentioned, you lost your job and not having health insurance. I'm currently an uninsured American because I work for a nonprofit. (laughs) And it really does shape the way that you seek health care because we live in America where we know it's so incredibly expensive. So then you layer that with a lack of knowledge on breast cancer or and then no insurance and then your age and then just the perfect storm this story really is not uncommon in the sense that every day someone is experiencing all of these barriers at the same time unfortunately and it is impacting their health and it's just very interesting i forget where i was going with all of that however i know you're the point you're absolutely no i 
when I, it was funny about this when, um, you know, I, I've, I've absolutely listened to a lot of your podcasts, but you speak so well and it's so easy to follow you. So I absolutely was oh, following good. you. Good. Perfect. And that's always my yeah. fear because I just be going and because it is something yeah. I'm so passionate about. And obviously yeah. I got, yeah, I, tell. I got pieces of your story secondhand. You know, our moms stay on the phone, yeah. but I hadn't, I yeah. even just listening to you tell your story right now, I was like, Oh, and I think that's why yeah. I didn't expect for you to for the story that I heard because I heard bits and pieces. Oh, Adrian got diagnosed with breast cancer, but then I also, but it was almost like I didn't hear about it again until they said she good. But now yeah. I'm thinking, I'm like, that was this. That was a lot. The timeline that you gave me don't match up with the amount of time that in my mind you had breast cancer. Like your in your my mind, your story is so much more condensed. Like she had it, but then she young. They fixed her up. My mom didn't tell me none of this other stuff, and she probably didn't know because hopefully your mom wasn't out here telling you business. But yeah, and, and, yeah. and again, that's that's something that you know you people they they're made aware that yeah. there's a health issue, but you try to keep it, and and maybe that might not be the best way to go about it but like I said that was just something that was so just so impactful to my life I did not want a lot of people to know I'm yeah like, okay if you tell something you, you don't got to tell them that I got chemo treatment every Friday yeah you know that sort yeah. of situation I wanted to okay let's just get it to the point where I'm healthy so yeah yeah and because yeah. of the way moms are I never wanted to hit you up and be like hey are you doing okay because I'm like she might not know that I know what's going on oh no but yeah absolutely it, it, that I actually have a cousin who um, they had a health issue and yeah. I just, you know, you reach out to them that one time, but then you kind of feel like, oh, we don't talk typically, you know, right. not, I, I love you cuz sort of situation, yes. but no, I, I get it all the way. It's like, yeah. I love you cuz, but I don't hit you up all the time. So yeah, now hit you up while you vulnerable, like, girl, you want to talk. Yeah. Oh, oh, now I don't have time for you yeah. to check it Absolutely. No, I feel that. Um, what let me look at my notes again. What was what else did I have? Um, oh, I want to circle back to the thing that you mentioned about the yeah. nurse. So while you were telling your story, I often think about this in terms of myself. I'm a part of a research project right mm. now where I've been talking to women about their experiences with healthcare, and I often disclose to them that even though I completely understand medical bias and I'm gonna fight it until the day I die, I don't feel as though I've ever experienced medical bias, but I'm I'm probably have, but I also have not spent a lot of time. Um, fortunately, in the healthcare system, I haven't, I haven't had to, but I appreciate that you also kind of like, I wouldn't say gaslit yourself, but you're like, is that what that is? Is she being like, why isn't she urgent? Because again, had you looked different, maybe she too would have been a little bit more urgent. And it's tough, I think, to even think about that someone would potentially disregard what you're experiencing because of how you look, because that seems so stupid, <laughs> but it you, does happen every day. Yeah. And to that point, like I said, I I will absolutely admit to anyone who, who who hears my story, I did not go about that the right way. I absolutely should have been on it a lot earlier. But just speaking to the point that, yeah, I didn't think at 27 I was I had breast cancer. But um I do think that, you know, I do think that if I were a woman of a different race, there there definitely would have been a lot more urgency. She was a little blase. Yeah, but again, I, there was obviously I was blase on my own end, so I I never want to point it or you know put it back on her. I have to, like you said, take that accountability that that was what I knew for myself. That should have been something that I was a lot more urgent on. There shouldn't have been any way that she said, yeah, yeah, come back when the doctor is here. There should have been no 
can you write me uh, yeah. a, a, a script for uh, ultrasound right now? Excuse me, not a script, but can you request that I get uh, yeah. an appointment for uh, ultrasound right now? So that should have been something that I did on my end, but you know, there was yeah, a lot you live and you so. learn. Yeah, exactly. And like, again, Absolutely. I. You mentioned something like while you were speaking, like if you can imagine, and quite literally, I cannot imagine. I can't, and this is no, this is about to sound very like <laughs> trivial, but Not- I remember when I first started developing breasts, uh, like literally as like a what 11, 12, 13, yep, the, them little buds start as knots. And I remember going to my grandma and being like, Oh my god, this knot. And she was like, Girl, gone. Like, mm-hmm. this is not so like that is like a funny puberty story to look back on, but I can't imagine being in the shower. At this big age now, at 29, and feeling a lump, because I know it wouldn't be anything like childish, like, oh, those are just your boobs coming in. No, this is something wrong. And I don't know how it react. Oftentimes, working in the field of HIV, people will literally try to give you the scenarios. Imagine, imagine, girl, I can't imagine. And I think that that is unfortunate probably for a lot of people. Like, obviously, I'm an empathetic person, but it is hard to put myself in the place because I don't I don't fault you one bit. I know that you are dealing with that and like those feelings of guilt, but I don't know what I would do, especially like I just mentioned to you, I don't have, I currently don't have health insurance. So what would I do? I know, I know cancer treatment's not cheap. I know getting a biopsy and things like that's, that's not cheap. And it, it would be a financial burden and, or even just all the other things. Again, I'm around the same age that you were. I cannot imagine. And I don't think that your reaction was, was too far off base of what any other person would do. I don't know. And I feel like obviously there's a level of privilege when you do have, when you make a certain amount of dollars or you maybe even got doctors in your family and things like you're like, oh yeah, of course I'm going to the doctor. It all goes back to like socialization almost with the healthcare system. We come from a culture of people who are like, oh, take drink some ginger ale. You'll be yep. good. Absolutely. Yep. Yes. So, I, I was just telling somebody that for black people, we're like, yep, ginger ale will fix it. Yeah, because there's there's no urgency. And a lot of that lack of urgency, though we joke about it, a lot of that comes from lack of access to care, lack of access to insurance, doctors that look like us. Like it actually is not a joking matter, but you know, black people can make a joke out of it. <laughs> but yes, yeah, it, it actually is serious. <laughs> And and I think you even alluded to that, like the 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 lack of urgency that you sensed, like it was, I don't know, like just yeah, like you said, yeah. you had a lack of urgency, and it was like one of those, oh, this ain't this ain't that, it can't be, I can't deal with this. <laughs> yeah, I I just and I know, like I said, to to speak to my mind at that point, there were so many things that I was kind of going through, like even with my dating life, you know, I yeah. I didn't have the best dating life at that point. I'm like, okay, you know, I'm I'm talking to this guy or I'm talking to this guy, and they're you know draining on my mental, so yeah. you know, just a, a variety of things that I'm going through, and like I said probably from the point where I initially felt the lump in my breast, maybe, maybe five months, six months later, I ended up losing my job. So, you know, just, a, yeah. just a lot of factors that did yeah. end up happening that year that I was like, okay, gotta, you know, kind of put that on the back burner. And I hate to just make it, you know, trivial like that, but that's exactly what, what, yeah. what I'm going through. Um, like I said, it wasn't until my ner- my nipple inverted that I, I knew something was was definitely wrong. Yeah. And I think so working in HIV, I literally was just saying this to someone earlier. A lot of times like there's a lot of data that shows that people get a diagnosis of HIV 
and they they start in care, but they don't. They call it being retained in care. There's like a 25, 30% drop off. And one of the things that I mentioned today in this class that I was in was that part of that is due to people not having their basic needs met. I can't worry about this HIV treatment. I can't worry about no biopsy or nothing right now when I'm trying to yeah. make sure that my rent is still paid. Yes. Absolutely. And I and I don't think enough people think about that when people are in the rooms and the spaces thinking about policy and what can we do to help people? Because that's the thing. I, I We get in these rooms as a person working in that field, and I'm sure any other chronic disease field, people are like, what can we do? What can we do for uh, HIV? It's called ending the epidemic. That's a whole national plan. But no mm-hmm. part of that national plan is like, hey, let's work on housing, you know, because yep. <laughs> I bet you more people would stop or let's make needle exchange programs national. I bet you less people would get HIV from injection drug use if they had clean needles. But no, we don't want to do that. So it's like, do y'all actually care? Because y'all aren't doing the basic bare minimum things that Absolutely. would increase likelihood or things like access to, like you mentioned, when you lost your health insurance and your job, you were like, what resources and like things like that. Oftentimes people are unaware completely because it's one of those, well, it's not me. I don't need to know where homeless shelters are, not to be extreme, but let's say, no, yeah. but yeah, like people don't, you don't know about those resources. So then it's a, uh, just a, again, a perfect storm of between the lack of knowledge and the lack of resources or if you are in a space where maybe you don't have transportation, the resources are on the other side of town. It's just, it makes it incredibly difficult to want to put your health first when it seems like all the things are stacked against you. And and actually, I'm glad that you brought that up just because I, I, I feel like I condensed my story even smaller because there were so many things that happened over the years. But um, just to speak to the actual health uh I'm sorry, the hospital that I I used for my cancer treatments, which is Henry Ford here in Detroit. Um, Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. 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 Sorry about that. Yep. So Henry Ford Health uh, Hospital, excuse me, hospital. They absolutely were amazing during my treatment. They made sure that I had transportation to get to my treatments. Um, They actually made sure during the pandemic, they were sending out for like the more recent, obviously the pandemic happened a year later, but for people who had just recently completed treatments during the pandemic, they were actually sending out like food baskets. It was, it wasn't a food basket, but they would send you meals. Yeah. They were sending you meals. They were sending like soups, sandwiches, um, you know, like little small salads that they would assemble. And they were just so, they were such an amazing healthcare provider that I really do want to speak to that part. Um, like I said, that transportation that they provided me. Um, some of the treatments, once I started radiation, it was really sweet. They would they would bring in, so I, I would go out to this, uh, or excuse me, to the hospital out in West Bloomfield, which is about from Detroit to West Bloomfield. It definitely is about like a 30-minute drive. Yeah. So... I remember going into the, like the first week that I was there, you know, at that point, like I said, I didn't, I have done chemo, I've done the mastectomy, now I'm at radiation, but it was so sweet. They were actually bringing in dogs for people to kind of, you know, for a support yeah. system. Yeah. And I thought that was just something so sweet. I'm, I'm an animal lover. Yeah. Um. So, you know, just to kind of have that comfort while I'm waiting for my appointment, they will let the dogs come in. You could, you know, pet them. Um, they, you know, you could give them treats and things like that. And it was just something that that extra little 
like I said, just something that that was a little bit more sentimental. They thought about that. They knew that people needed the support during that time. They know that it's hard on you. So I just thought that that was really sweet. They they were an amazing health care provider. Um, so I, I really do love Henry Ford. I've been, you know, I've been making sure that I donate to them when I can. They're just they're awesome. Excellent. I love to hear that. That is one of them. And being in public health, that hospital, obviously I'm also from the Midwest, but that hospital in particular, or that hospital system, I know there's more than one Henry Ford. Um, no, I've never heard anything bad. It's one of those like, oh, they're hiring here. Y'all should apply. Like it's, it's what I'm pretty sure if I'm not mistaken, I have recently applied for a job, a virtual job with that medical system because I have heard nothing but good things. So I'm, I love that. I love that that was your experience. And I wish that that was the experience for everyone. Um, Cause that, that does sound unfortunately so unique that they cared yeah. so much and they did so much that yeah. that is amazing. Um, I'm going to ask you, I think two more questions and then I'm going to let you go okay. <laughs> because yeah, okay. we've been at it. Um, the first one, you mentioned that you did have to have a mastectomy. Did you get reconstruction? So I did. Um, so, like I said, I completed, I completed radiation November 25th, 2019. And when I tell you, I, at that point, I was already, November 25th, I said, okay, so when can I have my reconstruction? Yeah. I, like that, that exact day, I'm like, okay, I'm ready for reconstruction. And they're like, no, you, you need to, to simmer down. You absolutely <laughs> You're going to need an entire, they were at that point, they were actually telling me that I would need an entire year. Oh, wow. Um, you know, from the point that I had radiation, because what the radiation did to my chest wall, um, it made the skin more taut. Yeah. Okay. It's not as pliable to be able to actually insert an implant in there. So they, at that point, they're like, you, you need an entire year. Um, but if I can say this really quickly too, yeah. because I didn't touch on it, but my mental health did start to deteriorate. It, I mean, my mental health overall during that um, was touch and go. I'll say that just yeah. because I knew I had cancer, but it absolutely did deteriorate when I lost my breast. I did not feel, and I want to be sensitive just to whoever is hearing this because I, I know that you know, there are sensitivities or triggers to different people, but just for me specifically, I did not feel as womanly as I did, as I once did. And I know that, you know, to say that I had sock in my breast or, you know, maybe even my butts or, you know, things yeah. like that, I guess I did, you know, put some of my self-worth in those things because, yeah. you know, like I said, my, my mental health did deteriorate. I did start to see, um, excuse me I did start to go to therapy um okay. during that time so yeah but like I said once you know once I completed radiation I absolutely was already asking them okay when can we have the reconstruction and that's when they told me we're gonna have to wait but I actually ended up finding a plastic surgeon in Birmingham Michigan who actually did accept my Medicaid which that's actually a big thing yeah uh, Birmingham is I'm, I'm sure you know too but Birmingham is like the it spot suburb of Detroit. So okay. um to be able to have a plastic surgeon who accepted my Medicaid, that was a big deal. Yeah. But 
he actually was able to complete my reconstruction six months after I completed my radiation just okay. because I was so adamant. Yeah, I was adamant because as I was kind of going through some doctors and, and, and another factor of why I went to him was there were other doctors that I went to. I went to see a plastic surgeon up in Ann Arbor. Um, I saw two more plastic surgeons out in West Bloomfield and they all were trying to do a specific technique that would have, they would have essentially, they would have either taken part of my skin, maybe towards like, so I would have, it would have essentially looked like a C-section scar. That was one mm -hmm. of the techniques. So they would have took okay. take the skin and the fat from there, or they would have taken, um, they would have taken some of the fat and skin from my back. So uh, almost, Ooh. almost like the skin grafting is yeah. how maybe I could explain it. Um, but I did not want that at that. Like I said, I already have a pork scar. Mm -hmm. I already do not have my breast. So I did not want any more scars. Yeah. So that was something that I was just really adamant about. And this particular plastic surgeon, he was able to, the technique that he did was able to, essentially cut along the same line excuse me yeah lining of my mastectomy scar so mm -hmm. he just followed it he didn't create any additional scars um and he was he was able to insert and implant that way so it, it started I actually had to have two surgeries with him one with an implant where they were just injecting saline so I would have to go back every couple of weeks they would inject saline from the first surgery that I had. Yeah. Um, try until, to expand the space. Exactly. They were expanding the skin to try to make it be able to accept because I also had the possibility of it rejecting. Yeah. So, you know, progressively they're, they're enlarging the breast area, expanding the breast area. And then I actually went back that the first, excuse me, the first surgery that was in May of no, excuse me, June of 2020. Sorry, because it was six months exactly. Um, and then I went back in October of 2020 for the actual um, implant to be inserted. So I do have a breast that, you know, he essentially created. I don't have a nipple. Okay. Um, so that is something that was was kind of hard because... I still had my left breast at the time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I have a nipple on this one. I don't have a nipple on the other one. One yeah. breast is sitting up. So I, I had so many things, like maybe even a slight just like shift of body dysmorphia where I was like, yeah. okay, my breasts don't look the same. They're not even. It's just so many things that I was kind yeah. of going through. Um, that I did essentially end up going back and having the other breasts taken, um, or excuse me, removed. And they, you know, they inserted an implant in that one just to kind of make them look even. Balance, yeah. Exactly. To balance them out. Um, so I don't have, I guess, traditional breasts in that sense. Yeah. Neither have nipples, um, but they are as even as they could possibly get. Um, I am thinking about in another year or two of going back and just trying to make a little bit more modification just because it, they're never going to look like how they once yeah. were, Yeah, you for know? Sure. but 
I would like them to get as even or balanced as possible. And I think that's extremely valid. And I think everything you said about your experience, I appreciate that you tried to be sensitive to to the concept of like, oh, my breasts don't make me a woman. But that's, I feel like until you are in that, obviously can't nobody tell you what what makes you feel like a woman or what makes you not feel as much like one. And I, yeah. and I feel like even myself as I, you know, little, little titty gang, I know if someone took one of them, I would be like, whoa, like, yeah. I feel like regardless. So I, I think not that you need me to validate your experience, but I definitely think that that is more than warranted. I feel like there are things socially that we attribute to women and that is one of them. And it, it can be challenging. And I also understand wanting to, to have them be symmetrical and the dysphoria that that could cause for it not to be. I mean, we all got one that's a little bit bigger than the other one, but when it, it was probably a bit more dramatic than that. And that absolutely. Yeah. More than valid. There's a doctor that recently followed me on Instagram out in Dallas. And this month she is giving her service away, but she does like it's permanent, not permanent makeup, but she does like these 3d realistic nipples for people who have had reconstructive surgery due to breast cancer or for whatever reason, I guess. Um, and she can redo the nipple and it looks so real. Yeah. She coincidentally followed me right after, um, I had recently, I kid you not the day before I had like turned to my boss and I was like, do you know why they, that people who have had, um, mastectomies, they don't, they don't have their nipples anymore. She was like, I never really thought about it. I was like, well, yeah, me either until just now. Duh. (laughs) um, And it just kind of caught me off guard because I was doing social media work and I was looking for pictures to use like graphics and images and all the women, um, they uh, had had reconstruction, but they didn't have nipples or like they, you know, had just had a mastectomy and there was nothing there. And I was like, I never paid this much attention. And then the next day, this other this doctor followed me and I was blown away. I was like, that's such an amazing service that she offers. Because I can imagine how even if, yeah, obviously with the bra on and your reconstructed breast, you, you know, got a bra on, you know, they're there, they're whatever, but taking it off and realizing like, it's not quite the same. Yeah. Um, And and I just, I I was never one of the, I I don't have any tattoos at all anyway, but I definitely, I, I saw so many women who were like, oh, you know, um, I, I got a tattoo to cover up my mastectomy scars. And I just, that wasn't, you know, something yeah. that I was interested in. So I was yeah. like, okay, well, I guess we'll just be nippleless. But yep. I, I actually, I, I've seen a few doctors who also do the uh, the the nipple reconstruction as well, and yeah. that's something that I'm considering. I, yeah. I am, but like I said, I, I think before I do that, I would like to at least have a little bit more balance with my breasts um, before I go and and go to that process. Yeah. Definitely. And if you don't ever do it at all, that's fine too. Cause at the end of the yeah. day, it is just a tattoo. Yeah. It ain't, it ain't restoring anything. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, just do whatever would make you feel good. So now last actual question. I typically ask people in this time, you've heard the podcast before, what advice would you give your younger self? Blah, blah. But today I want to ask you a little slightly different take on that because you did share so much in depth about your story and your experience. And due to your age and the fact that you came out the gate immediately and said, like, this is still impacting you in probably more ways than one, even though you are in remission, this whole process will forever impact you. So from all of this, what do you think has been like your overall largest takeaway about just life in general? Oh, that's a really good question. Um. Honestly, I know this is this is probably going to sound 
cliche, but it's honestly just the truth. Just, just have a little bit more, you know, concern overall. If you feel something, if it's, if there's any sort of abnormality, if it, if it's a possibility, go and see about it. That's, that's, you know, honestly, because with this, I just know from if, if I would have, if I would have just looked into it and thought a little bit more of it enough to say, this is an abnormality. This is not, this isn't something right. This just developed overnight. I know I may not have had to lose my breast. Yeah. Maybe, you know, just with more of the urgency that I had about it and, and more of the overall concern for it, I would have maybe caught it at stage two. Maybe they wouldn't have had, like I said, take to take my breast. Yeah. Um, I could have just done the treatments, radiation, and we could have been at, at that point. Um I yeah, I absolutely just just if I if anybody, you know, with a similar story to mine, just go get yourself checked out. There a a, a lump or a tumor should not develop overnight. Yeah. Um go get it checked out. Um also also another cliche uh, is just to love yourself. Be kind to yourself. Make sure that you are putting yourself first. Um, and not in a selfish way, but just a way that, you know, just to put yourself first. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's just, no, but, that's okay. you know, that's as much as I can really say about it and to, to be kind and, and to love on yourself, yeah. to really love on yourself and know that you are worthy. You are loved. All of that. Yes. Thank you. None of, first of all, none of that is cliche because I feel like everyone starts with that. You're not the first person to say, well, it's going to sound cliche. No, it, it, and I feel like People say that, but then I hear something profound or it it's unique to you because your reason why you're saying this is completely different than why someone else would. And I think the context is necessary and the message is necessary because even though we, you might, some of us have grown up in homes where you, you, you did hear those things. You did hear that you were worthy and all of that. Some of us right. didn't. So it's not cliche to say, Hey, love on yourself, put yourself first, advocate for yourself. Mm. Do what's best for you, because there, yeah. someone listening right now has never heard that before. They have yeah. it's never dawned on them. You know what? I should put me first, Lucius. Yep. They've, never, they've never heard that before. They never. And if y'all don't understand the reference to Empire, that's fine. But yes, like so, I appreciate that and love it that the girls are gonna eat it up. I'm sure because you know we love affirmations. So absolutely. I want to thank you again for being here and sharing with me so candidly and so openly about what you went through, because I know that that can be hard. It doesn't sound like you got choked up once. And yeah. I appreciate that, that you felt comfortable here to tell that story. Thank you so much, Diane. I really appreciate. And I, I really hope that somebody who is potentially going through this, I hope that they're not. I, I hope that they're not. But yeah. I hope that if they are going through it, that this is something that can, you know, maybe put a little bit more, you know, urgency on them. They yeah. can, you know, do what they need to do to, to go get checked out. Yeah, hopefully. So I'm going to close the show out like I always do. 
And then, yeah, then I'm gonna hang up the call and yeah. Anyway, so if you liked what you heard and would like to hear more from me and other Black women professionals in the future, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Turn on your notifications. Leave me a five-star review, please, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Audible, Amazon Music, wherever you're listening, and share the show with the Black woman you love. You can keep up with me and the podcast on Instagram and Facebook at Change Our Outcomes. If you'd like to send me show ideas or talk about what we're talking about right now, or you just want to say, hey, feel free to send me an email at heygirl at changeouroutcomes.com. And as always, thank you all for your support. And if no one has told you, Black girl, you are capable. Black girl, you know your body better than anyone. And Black girl, you are loved. Thank you for listening.